Welcome to Latin American Intersections, where we explore the intersection of business, geopolitics, and social impact in the Latin American and Caribbean region. Our team is here to bring you the insights you need on current events from leaders and experts in the public, private, academic, and civic sectors. Latin American Intersections is presented by Ozilold Group, a consultancy focused on stakeholder relations and alternative risk reduction, building collaborations across sectors and industries to improve outcomes for clients and communities. Please keep in mind that the opinions, ideas, and information discussed on this podcast are those of the individual host and guest and do not necessarily reflect the official stances of organizations they are affiliated with. Be sure to follow at LATAM Podcast on your social media, share an episode or two with your friends, and send us your questions about the region. And don't forget to rate us on any of your favorite podcast apps. Welcome back to another season of Latin American Intersections. We're starting off after our brief hiatus for the last almost two years with an important subject in business, policy, and social outcomes. Today, we'll be discussing controlled environment agriculture in Puerto Rico and the Caribbean with Hector Pomales, founder and CEO of Farm in the City PR. Uh, indoor agriculture, aka urban agriculture, or CEA, and its current and future contributions to food security, distribution, and access, especially under challenging conditions and climate change risk, has gotten a lot of attention in the last few years from investors, policymakers, and communities, as the necessity for localized, protected, and consistent crop production is not only recognized as a key component of our future decentralized food systems, but the efficiency and costs have actually improved over time. So let's explore this topic in the context of island resilience and business viability with Hector. Hector, thanks for being on the show with us. Can you give us a little background on yourself and how you and your team launched Farm in the City PR and what Farm in the City PR is about? Yeah, thank you, Mike. Well, uh, my main background is uh, uh, renewable energy for about 15 years. Um, my family uh, get, get into the, this business for about 25 years. That I'm talking about in this case of hydroponic uh, system, hydroponic agriculture. Uh, we've been doing greens for about from 2000, give or take. Um, but uh, always I've, I've been I've been dealing with the with the with the business with my family. Good job. Uh, but after the, the situation of Maria, Hurricane Maria in uh, 2017, uh, well, all the all the operations goes out, went out, and um, well, we we starting this new kind of uh, of uh, you know uh, agriculture in, in in control environment system. In this case, with like shipping containers, they are they are like labs. Uh, so we started. From the from the, the from 2018 until now, we already prepare a, a, a program directly to different farmers. Uh, we are selling the crops through different uh, supermarkets right now. So we've been de dealing with all, all this. But 
the situation of Hurricane Maria, you know, changed everything. That's why we are integrating this this kind of technology in agriculture, you know, to make this happen more resilient and uh, more secure. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely know what you mean. So let's get right into these questions then. I mean, what can you continue on what the importance of controlled environment agriculture is specifically to Puerto Rico and other Caribbean islands? Yeah, like, you know, uh, all the Caribbean islands has the situation of hurricane storms, uh, this climate change thing. Um, well, this the, 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 the interest to get in... in Urban and technology on this kind of agriculture is very important. We don't have enough space on this Caribbean island. So that's why it's important how to how we can make a more more productive weight or with the same with, with the small areas. You know what I mean? Because we don't have enough space to do it also. So we have the hurricanes with that. We have the storms. We have a, we, we, don't, we don't have enough space. So that's why we we like our int our intention is to is to make in the small amount of, of of space do the best we can do of crops. You know what I mean. So uh, that's why we we are dealing with all this right now, and uh, a, a bit, it's very important for the island. The other thing is that we are we are importing a lot of of produce from the from the states, uh, about 90 percent uh, in this case of the greens. So. We need to do it. We need we need we need to do it in the, in the best way possible uh, in here in the those small areas. That's that's why it's very important to work with control environment systems. Uh, you know, for all the details that I've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you talk about you know limited space, obviously on an island, that doesn't necessarily mean that controlled environment agriculture or indoor agriculture or uh, hurricane protection technologies or anything like that is necessarily going to replace other forms of agriculture, correct? No, yeah, this this could be a comp complementary way to do it because the, in you know, we need we need to do potatoes, we need to do, you know, uh, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, plantains, you know, the, all those crops, all those kind of produce uh, needs to be on the on the on the land, not not in the control environment system, but it's a niche, a, a big niche right now for the lettuces, herbs, those kind of greens, you know? So uh, so there's specific things that are more scalable inside controlled environment agriculture and certain things that are not really scalable within a controlled environment agriculture system, correct? Exactly, exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah. and you know, to be clear, I know that um, We've talked about other options that there are, uh, like hurricane-protected greenhouses and such that can also help to bridge that gap between scalability and um, uh, the 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 certain components of, of indoor or protected agriculture. Yeah. Um, the question. No, uh, I was just basically mentioning that there are certain other technologies uh, that help bridge the gap between crops that uh, need to be grown on a much larger scale than is currently, um, or a, a, than, than can currently be done through controlled environment agriculture, such as hurricane protected uh, greenhouses. I know there's a couple of projects that they're trying to launch on the island for that kind of thing, for things that need that type of scale. 
But when we talk specifically about controlled environment agriculture uh, inside buildings or containers, um, it's a component of overall food security, but it's limited to certain types of crops. What are some of the what are some of the crops that you've um, focused on with Farm in the City? Well, we can do uh, uh, a part of the lettuces, uh, different kind of lettuces and herbs that are, that's about 30 or 40 types of them, a variety of them. We can do um, tomatoes, we can do uh, uh, sweet pepper, you know, uh, different cucumber. And we, we, we could do that on that environment, you know, in the, on, the, on, on our uh, shipping containers units. But uh, it's not enough prof profitable uh, for the farmer. So that's the situation. So be because in that in that space of 30, 32 me square meters, uh, to get you know, and compete and compete with the with the imports that we have on those specific varieties. I'm talking about the, the tomatoes and uh, cucumbers, or, uh, carrots, carrots as well. So it's gonna be very difficult because we when we when we do the numbers on on the on the system uh, for the cost of operation and the sale of those pros, it's gonna be break even point. So mm -hmm. no makes sense for us at this moment to do it, but but that doesn't mean that we cannot do it in in the future because we can we can do a bigger spaces to do it you know and that, that could be that could make make sense to do it that way so that's why we are focused on these small spaces uh, on greens that make make sense for us to do it uh, economically um, that's why we are focused on that at this moment at this moment yeah Absolutely. And would you say that is a major contribution to food security if these types of systems or if, if CEA systems are adopted pretty widely in both in, in urban areas across the island? Yes. Um, the, the, interest, the, the interesting thing in here is that uh, we can put this kind of system anywhere you want, anywhere you want. It's about eight by 40, 40 feet. So it's, it's, it's not it's not much, but we can do about 5,000 heads of lettuce each month in that space, anywhere. You know what I mean? So we so, don't need to. Uh -huh. So if you have a cluster of these in, in, partic in any particular region on this island or other islands in the future, you can create local localized distribution based on the quantities that are actually needed in that space. Exactly. Yes? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So um, that, that's that, that's the that's the interesting thing in, on this. Uh, the other thing is that you can do agriculture anytime you want at the day. In the traditional agriculture, you need to well, you need to be on the traditional hydroponic system at five a.m. for giving for giving example to ten a.m. because after that the the, the heat weather is very difficult to work with. So in this kind of technology. You can do agriculture anytime you want, 6 a.m., 12, 12 p.m., at noon, whatever you want. So that's, that's flexibility is good for the farmer. Uh, and the conditions are, are better. Do you know what I mean? It's not, you know, yeah. Well, <laughs> well a, single, a single person or two people could run one of your container farms and ostensibly, uh, and by extension, a larger... Um, farm inside of a building could be run by the fewest number of people possible, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. We 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 only need one one person, four or five hours per day to run this farm, at least for lettuces. If it if it's herbs, for example, maybe you need more time because you need to be more cared for that kind of crops. But only one person can do can do it. Only one person. Yeah, different okay. in the different from other kind of hydroponic system. For example, in my family. Uh, we're we're working with this hydroponic system for a, in a one acre of hydroponic system, one acre completely in hydroponic system, with five people over there, five five uh, uh, persons working over, over there. And, and how uh, much production do you have? Uh, on that on that one, well, that's the situation. We can we can we we could have twenty. I think it was forty eight thousand. Yeah, forty eight thousand uh, spaces. You know. But we are we've been losing a lot of that spaces because it's a, we we don't have the same on the on the traditional aeroponic system we didn't have the same uh, climate every month and we have plagues we have uh, uh, we, we need to use pesticides over there so it's different you know in this small space yes. Mm -hmm. In, in, so, so you're talking about the difference between an outdoor hydroponic system versus an indoor controlled environment agriculture CEA system. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But you still have a minimal. So going back to labor, though, I think one of the things that we need to point out is in a place like Puerto Rico, you don't have a lot of labor in the agri available in the agriculture sector. Right. Just like. Uh, in no, parts of the yeah. Yeah. That's just, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. That's the that's another situation in here. We don't have enough people who can work the, the lands in here or the, the traditional agriculture. We don't have enough people to work in the, in the fast food right now. So in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in agriculture, it's worse, you know? So, so the labor is another handicap we have in here. Yeah, and the young people and young people don't want the, a lot of them, not, not all of them, because um, generally speaking, they don't want to work on the on the lands with the sun in here the heating here is not like colombia <laughs> you know what i mean right it's right is uh we have a lot of heat in here we have uh, an average so it's of more, it almost heat. is more like a personal manufacturing operation we're talking about containers and when we're talking about buildings again you know it's you know it's it's a controlled environment so you have ac you have protection from the sun you have more technical skills that come into play rather than um, rather than labor that can only that, that one isn't available and two uh, can only work from say six to ten a.m. Correct? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. You're correct. So, so we're um, kind of getting into the business environment on this, talking about labor. Um, what else can you tell us about the business environment and the intersection of that business environment with policy on the island when it comes to controlled environment agriculture? Uh, as opposed to traditional agriculture, let me know if you want me to rephrase the question. Uh, no, I I understand. We we are talking about the policies from the government, uh, or what what are the the intention of the government to to fund this, this kind of uh, of technology? Well, that and the overall business environment specific to controlled environment agriculture. Yeah. So you know what, you know one why should investors be interested in CEA or other forms of uh, indoor or urban agriculture? And then what is the, 
what are some of the incentives or what are some of the issues when it comes to policy on the island? Yeah, well, um, we are, the government are in this learning process. When we, when we started this for in 2018, uh, Department of Agriculture here didn't understand this kind of concept. So they are in, right now, Obviously, after four years, we've been dealing with that. Uh, uh, in the, we are learning. We are in the learning process. They are in the learning process to to how to make this possible and make so more sustainable for different incentives that we that we could have uh, and and the financing also well. Uh, and now I think they are getting there. They are getting there, but not yet. Not, not in the complete um uh, uh the complete they don't have the complete idea yet they all they are almost there right now for example the department of agriculture or the effort or all, all the efforts are for traditional agriculture um and i understand that because they have been dealing with that for, for, for a lot of years um, but we have other agency for example pritco or economic development of puerto rico who want to start some programs for ag tech, okay? Technology in agriculture. And, so, and let me let me stop you there for a second. So, and they have an interest in that in part because CEA can be viewed in a sense as a manufacturing operation, correct? Exactly. That's why economic development is working with that right now, trying to, to work with those kind of programs because economic development works with manufacturing. But Department of Agriculture is seeing this different, at least until now, okay? At least mm-hmm. until, until now. But we, that, that could change. That programs like, like ours, is, is, uh, it, they are teaching them the, the, the way that, that this is the future. You know, uh, in this island, this is going to be the future, but they, they didn't understand how to do it or how to right. manage it economically. You know what I mean? So, well, uh, let me ask you this, Hector. So the... The, the Puerto Rico, as part of the U.S., mm-hmm. also has the USDA involved in things here on the island, right? So what what steps have they taken to to look at the role of CEA and and are there incentives backed by the USDA at this time for for controlled environment agriculture? Yeah, they are starting this kind of program in the U.S. in the States, and they are trying to launch that those 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 programs in Puerto Rico again. They are in the learning process in here. They only need the, the, the benchmark. That's very important. And companies like So ours, they're gathering data right now from whoever's exact, actually working in this space at exact, this time. Exactly. So companies like ours are very important at, at this stage to teach them or to, to share with of the results, you know, to, to make that happen. Okay, so that's good. We we are, we are that that bridge right now. We have so, been dealing with a lot of things, but, but we are we are dealing with we, we are working with that bridge to do it with them. So, so Hector, one thing that I think right, and and I want to see if you agree, is I believe that right now, whatever companies, whatever groups are involved in controlled environment agriculture in all its forms on the island at this time have the opportunity to really inform and uh, influence 
policy, both at a at a at a local state level and also at a federal level when it comes to um, government uh, policy on and, and incentives within within this space. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Okay. Totally Very agree. interesting. Um, so let me let me lead this into something else. Um, what what specifically do you see in terms of competition or competitive advantage when it comes to other uh, controlled environment agriculture startups on the island? Do you foresee at this time, for instance, I foresee that for you know a guesstimate of the next 10 years, none of you will really have to compete with each other, but rather can work off of competitive advantage because the island has a, you know, the, the, the number that still gets thrown around to this day is an 85% deficit in terms of food production, right? So most food is imported to the island, despite the fact that you have a year-round growing season. And in reality, controlled environment agriculture as a component of the, the local food system and food security does not have to compete in any way, shape, or form with traditional agriculture. And by extension, I don't believe that for a very long time, any controlled environment agriculture group that is on the island would be competing with each other at this point. I, as far as I know, every ounce of produce that you or anybody else can produce is, is wanted by distributors on the island. Is that it's, correct? That for the time sad. being, it's, yeah. okay. That for the time being, there's an opportunity to work off competitive advantage in terms of what you guys are growing and who you're distributing it through rather than having to outcompete for the same market. Would that be correct? Yeah, you're right. Um, that that very in, uh, interesting uh, statement. The thing is, all the, if if you have you are you are cultivating every crop, any crop that you need, control environment or out of control of additional environment, whatever whatever you 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 want to crop, is already sold. It's already sold because we need it. At least yeah. if you can keep it at the same price point that they have to import it for, right? But then they get it's, two extra weeks of shelf life. Exactly, yes? exactly. Okay. The, the, the imports in here in Puerto Rico takes about 12 to 14 days to get in here. And internal logistics is about maybe three days, four days. So in 20 days, you have, maybe in 20 days, you have that crop in your table. But we need to do it in here in a resilient way but that's the situation. All the distributors in Puerto Rico wants to buy everything from, from here, obviously. But the situation But they need is, consistency, yes? Exactly. The inconsistency is the problem. The because I, in the traditional way to do it, I cannot secure you uh, a complete projection of 90% of my, of my, of my crops could be marketable every month. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. But in control environment system, yes. So that could be a good, uh, we can get a good, strong, um, very secure distribution channel through distributors and through supermarket, hotels and restaurants as well. And, and when that happens, then we don't need to make efforts to import other products from the, from the outside. Because we can we can do it the the in a in a in the less time possible, and you can get it in five days after the harvest at the same price that we are ha we're having right now from the imports. So 
that's the opportunity. That's the opportunity. That's amazing. It's basically the domestic market for the foreseeable future can consume the entirety of what you guys can produce, which limits the the amount of cost of doing business overseas, et cetera, because it, it's there's no need for it. And from a community and social perspective, every ounce of food that's growing on this island really should stay here, unless we're talking about crop production for the use in textiles or, or other types of uh, products that might be marketed overseas, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Another, another thing is we don't have that problem only. All the Caribbean island, all the CARICOM island, the group of 17 islands, including Barbados, uh, Trinidad, Tobago, those islands have the same situation. We, they don't have the channel of distribution from Venezuela at, at this time. They don't have it right now. So they need to import from the States and takes longer than we have in here. A, a head of lettuce that we can send maybe three, four dollars in here costs about eight, nine dollars to those islands. So, Do you, let me ask you something. Do you foresee that besides, so, so obviously the first step is creating a robust, robust localized food system, right? Between traditional agriculture, CEA, et cetera. But when it comes to CEA specifically, do you foresee that one across the Caribbean islands, they could first serve their own interests in terms of their own food security with CEA programs and CEA technologies, but at the same time, at some point, they could cross a threshold where the islands themselves could create um, uh, a certain amount of trade with those same food systems? Yeah, of course. That, that's our goal. Mm -hmm. That's our goal. Not only work with the food security in Puerto Rico, how to help those little islands in, uh, in the Caribbean to do the same, the same thing. Could be we can do it in here and trade with them, or they can, they can copy our system over there, whatever it is. So, uh, yeah. But so yes. the, the, the potential for exports is more in terms of technology and processes rather than in terms of the food itself. They can actually produce what they need right on site. And then maybe certain types of special crops or whatever could be traded between these different entities. Exactly. But we have another issue for those islands. Uh, we, we could get more incentives, more grants to make the technology more uh, uh, a little a better cost because we have the grants that they don't have over there so uh, make have make make sense maybe to use those grants to work with the technology here and export over there over there because absolutely the so, so so expand yeah. here and then potentially what your what the plan might be between you and and any other partners in this um or other groups would be to to be able to to grow here first and then and, and project your your technology to other places. Yeah, because the technology costs. The technology have a cost, you know? And Absolutely. we can cut that, that, that cost at 50% for giving an example, we, because we have grants in here and Barbados don't have it. So maybe it makes sense to do it in here and export the, the produce over there. Okay. Because the so ROI is better, you know? So this actually leads me to another question, Hector, because sometimes when we think about agriculture and food systems and food security, we consider the idea that sometimes a single or, or a handful of entities in that space are able to be more efficient um, 
when it comes to to production and distribution than say a lot of decentralized small farms, right? When it comes to what you guys have set up, sometimes there is a higher cost to, you know, a higher fixed cost to setting up business, right? But at the same time, what you guys have started to to figure out and what you're experimenting with is a franchise model where individual entrepreneurs could actually operate within the context of a co-op with what you with the technologies that you have correct yeah that's what we are doing right now that's the that that's this is a program that covered 360 360 grades uh not only train not only help the 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 farmers uh to get their the incentives or grants or or the financing but the thing is uh, market the the har the harvest the crop the crops uh, with the same brand in this case farming the city is our company and we help them we we buy from them and we we redistribute to the different channel partners that we have supermarkets and all the, all the stuff so that, that's the idea to make a cooperative way to pay the same amount of money even the the the, the, the system, one technology is in Calle, for example, it's in the middle of the island, or Fajardo mm -hmm. in the east. It's going to be the same cost. So that's the idea, and we could have the visibility to the, the, the right, to make the right offer from the demand we could have. If, if every farmer works different or works their own way, that could be very difficult. Because right. nobody well, could see. And in most countries, most farmers will work within the context of a co-op for, you know, to, to, to be able to market their products, right? Exactly. And, and at least within the CEA, CEA context, you're able to inform, um, we'll call them agro-entrepreneurs. You're able to inform them what kind of needs need to be met per distribution and per the demand from distributors on a month-by-month -month basis, correct? I mean, most exactly. of these crops can be harvested every 30 days. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. So we, when we work that way, we can we can get miserable results. You know what I mean? So uh, we have visibility all the market through this program. Uh, and this is a program that must be, do, must be done in different traditional agricultural as well because right. if not well you could yeah. even include some traditional agriculture in your distribution networks yeah. yes yeah that that could be a possibility the, the okay. only is in traditional agriculture that we've been we've been working uh, talking a, a few minutes ago uh we cannot co have consistency on the on the harvest because all the situation that we have outdoor um, and if I fail, if we fail also the distribution channel, then I fail to the supermarket on that crop specifically. And what gonna be the what 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 could be the situation on the supermarket? They need to do contracts from outside to secure their 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 production for them to sell mm -hmm. to the customers. So this very is we need to be very careful to do that. Because we've been there in the past. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there's some in, 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 in traditional hydroponic system, in ours traditional hydroponic system before this, uh, we, 
there is some, some months at 50% of harvest. There's some months at 80% of harvest. It's, mm -hmm. it's crazy, you know, it's very crazy. It, basically, uh, with CEA, with when you're actually doing it indoors in a controlled environment, the consistency is there. So there's less supply chain risk attached exactly. to it, even though there's a higher upfront cost of doing business. Exactly. Um, That's and, why we are doing the cooperative way, because we know that only 5%, no more than 5% is, is a loss on, of, of, the, of those systems. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I can secure all the complete channel of distribution. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so, let, me, let me ask you something, Hector. So do you foresee that if you have these, in, in your particular case, this, these container systems distributed uh, with independent entrepreneurs around the island, independent agro-entrepreneurs, um, or, or even in clusters near certain urban centers, right? Um, let's say that a, that a major crisis happens, you know, you know, the gods forbid, you know, a, another major hurricane. Are they able to, let's say that distribution is disrupted, supply chain, your, your major supply chain is disrupted, but each of those individual franchises could go ahead and start doing hyper-local um, food distribution if they aren't already doing that. So instead of more centralized distribution, they're able to convert to a hyper-local distribution. Is that possible under the, the model that you and Farm in the City and, 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 um, and other yeah. Uh, groups are, are working on? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. In that case, in something happened like that, uh, because obviously uh, we could, in, in that, in that, on that moment, we have a generator that could supply the, the energy if that happened because we, we are, the grid is out of the system of that moment. We could supply the products for the supermarket. Supermarket have their own generator and they can, they can sell the product, but, but how many people are out of, of fridge in their homes? So that could be a cut over there. Uh, following your question, yes, uh, that could that could be a second uh, opportunity uh, to sell those crops from those areas, those system of those areas to their own community. Of course, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. So, Hector, let's let's talk about two different things. So we've we've talked a little bit about the social impact aspect of this in terms of food security. Um, a certain amount of community development, but I want to dig into that just a little bit more before we talk about the ROI, right? I mean, mm -hmm. return on investment is extremely important, but also what kind of what kind of an impact does this have on the community? So one of the things that I specifically wanted to get into is the the entrepreneurship model that you and that you guys have developed and other groups may develop. Um, on the back of really a lot of, I, you know, I, I, I think that, that the model that you guys are developing may, it, assuming it has some success, may be, may be copied to a certain degree, right? Mm -hmm. um, so specifically when it comes to jobs or small businesses, do you foresee that as uh, the food security piece we already understand? So I want to look at, okay, we're not creating a ton of jobs, right? We're not because this is a labor efficient system but you are able to create more entrepreneurship within the agriculture and specifically the CEA space, correct? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is scalable. And, and, and furthermore, yeah. let, me, let me just say, I mean, there's a lot of talent in Puerto Rico within 
that sector. You have lots of graduates from the University of Puerto Rico who graduate in agronomy. I believe Inter-American University still has a, an agriculture MBA. So, and, and the USDA recruits heavily from the island. There's a lot of opportunity for research here. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of young people leave the island to take jobs uh, either with the government or private entities in the U.S. and other places, um, in part because they don't necessarily have the same opportunities here. They don't have the access to capital. They don't have the um, access to land that they might want uh, in order to they don't they don't have the same salary ranges. So when but when it comes to entrepreneurship, does this open up something else that wasn't previously available? And could it keep and or repatriate Puerto Rican talent to yeah. and on the island? Yeah, that's our one of our main focus that you said we have enough talent, enough talent. We have uh, a lot of young people who have the knowledge to do this. It's annoying, you know how young people works in technology, um, but they don't have the capital to do it. One of the things that we've been focused is to help them to reach those those uh, those funds, different funds, to make this happen, and keep that talent in here. Um, the idea is not for 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 us at least. The idea is not to make more uh, labor or more employees. The idea is those employees to make them make them agro-entrepreneurs. You know what I mean? So that's our main focus. And when you when we talk about agro-entrepreneurs, agro uh, we're talking about they need to understand how to manage a business. The accounting, the, the obviously what is, uh, how to operate this technology, uh, the marketing, involves all of that. And that That's the beauty of this, you know, because we are not we are not focused on my only an employee, but who works in agriculture and you know make the farmer how can I say it make the the farmer as a pro, like other professional. You know what I mean? Um, right. Um, so you're you you they they need to bring like these additional skills, but they're able to instead, like you said, instead of being labor, they are now the owners of their own operation. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So so you you kind of hit on it, but I want to delve into that just a little bit more. Um. Again, so so before we hit on what the kinds of returns on investment investors could see in this, right? Um, is from from my perspective, and I know we've discussed this a little bit. Um, the the access to incentives uh, on the government side is is difficult or problematic, right? It's it, the government at the state level, at the federal level. There's a lot of enthusiasm when it comes to the when it comes to CEA as a as a component of food security and food security policy, right? However. The incentives aren't necessarily accessible, especially here in Puerto Rico at this time. We're working on it, right? I mean, there's, se there's several different groups. There's a lot of uh, collaboration across industries and sectors that I've seen or that I've even participated in to some degree to, to move policy and, and, and get access to incentives, right? Um, but but without that kind of access and you can speak on this a little bit more how much do we currently need to rely 
on private capital to move this forward for um, groups such as yourself and or individual entrepreneurs? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, there's a lot of bureaucracy. That they, they want to do it. The government wants to do it, but they need to work with different bureaucracies. Remember the, the government, that's another thing. The government see their, their ROI with the employees that they could uh, in, uh, get in, in any project for a dollar invested on, 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 the, on, on this. You know what I mean? Ah, this, okay. So their XY is basically is basically how many employees can be can be put into any particular project rather than how many entrepreneurs can be created for uh, something within the same space. Is that what you mean? Exactly. So that's the That's interesting. Freaking... I actually had never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they, they 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 see it that way. But they know already that we don't have enough employees to work with agriculture right now. So they are dealing with this back and forward way to do it. And they are on that process how to do it, to make, to make every dollar spent or, or every dollar to, of the grant for their, their own ROI. You know what I mean? So, right, right. So, and specifically what they have an impact in terms of, of a social. I mean, the government's job, right, is social impact, so public good, right? So they're looking in terms of how many jobs do we create and, and such like that, right? Exactly. Um, you know, we could we could definitely get go down the rabbit hole on that, but I wanted to kind of extend past that and go to banking specifically. One of the things that I have seen, and I believe we've discussed this as well, is that when it comes to um, banks, for instance, it's very difficult. Even there's enthusiasm there for the sector as well, but their ability, especially on this island, to assess risk in regards to something that is both somewhere between agriculture and manufacturing. Is a little bit difficult for them. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, that, that's why that's why private private investors uh, most most seeing this like an opportunity because we have the talent, we have the technology, we have the platform. So the private investor could pass that bureaucracy of the government because they are dealing with the the owner why the employees that they they being. Uh, promoting with this each, each, each grant, but in the meantime, we don't have food security, so <laughs> right. So, so we need to move fast. So, uh, sorry, we disconnected there for a moment, Hector. You were saying about um, the how how the incentives and or the capital for this needs to move fast. Exactly, need to move fast because we have. We have the, the, the opportunity right now, but not the opportunity. We, we have the need right now to do it. There, there's an immediacy to this. I mean, we're talking about food security on the policy side, but when it comes to investment, why should investors be interested in this space, um, not just from a social impact perspective, right? I mean, there's, there's certain metrics that we could apply to this um, in terms of long-term investing, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of risk reduction strategies that can be brought into this, um, especially here on the island. We're talking about um, something that once you once you invest in this, the produce is guaranteed to be bought, no matter what's going on. It will always be on contract, no matter what, um, for the for the foreseeable future. But overall, 
why is CEA something that investors should be interested in? Um, and, and what kind of long term are we talking about? And then specifically in Puerto Rico, are there additional reasons that investors, whether they're from the island or from other places, should be interested in this? Well, we have, uh, we have measurable results. And that's very important on this. It's like, uh, give or take, it's like you having a solar system and sell a kilowatt hour for each client. It's gonna be mostly the same because we already have the need. Uh, we already have the, the platform and the, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's an investment. It's an investment. You, you, you could have the, the technology as well at your side. It's not a technology that you cannot manage because it's stuck in the land. No, if something happens, you can move that technology as well. So you're going to have uh, a proper. Okay. So, while, so, while, so essentially, that, that's one great example, I think, of risk reduction when it comes to this kind of technology. You're talking about, um, you, you're talking about, the, there's several reasons that, even though CEA has a lot of upfront costs, you have a lot of fixed costs when it comes to CEA, when it comes to controlled environment agriculture. Let's, you know, let's be very clear about that. There's a, there's a heavy upfront cost. Mm -hmm. However, over the long term, your variable costs can be relatively controlled. The kinds of distribution marketing activities that you do um, will vary, but can be, can be combined or, or the effects amplified, right? But when it comes to risk reduction, we're talking about, like you just said, you can move the technology, especially in terms of these containers. But even when you're moving technology from one building to another, I mean, there's just a lot of opportunity to continue operations with minimal interruption. Or even if you lose a crop, you're losing a grand total of maybe 20 to 30 days. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But, uh, but, but yes, but the risk is very, very small in this, in this complete platform. Okay, not only at the technology in the discovery platform, that's, that's, that's why the cooperative way to do it uh, is more secure for the, for the investor or the same agro entrepreneurs, you know? Right. So, um, so they can so, plan with the kinds of returns that they, that are, that, 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 they can, that they can measure, right? I mean, you can, you can say, hey, this might be a small amount of return, but we know it's going to be consistent over, over this period of time. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. exactly. And in, in some cases, I mean, as as the, the technologies improve and the costs reduce, you know, and there's reduced costs or there's more efficiencies. Right. When it comes to cooperatives um, or uh, I, I don't know if we call it like a pseudo cooperative or franchising, such as like what you're doing. It seems like a lot of those those costs can be reduced through the efficiencies of those systems that you guys put in place. Yes. Exactly. Okay. That is the, the technology that we have right now is not the same technology that we had five years ago. I already have a, a, a system who, well, we, we've been doing about 30,000, 30, uh, 3,000, sorry, 3,000 uh, head of lettuce per month. And right now we are in 5,000 at the same space, you know? So, so we can, we can, um, this technology could be retrofitted as well in the future. You know what I mean? In the same space. 
So uh, the idea is so to you get... could upgrade it. It's almost modular. You could upgrade it, integrate other technologies. Um, yeah. As new crops improve or new crops are created that can be used inside of these spaces, there's no yes. problem developing yes. that. Yes. Okay, excellent. So let's just... Um, so, you know, uh, real quick, just a quick disclaimer. I mean, um, uh, Ossal Group, my firm, and... and um, uh, Hector and Farm in the City uh, PR have discussed these uh, this type of business development in detail. Um, <laughs> so a little bit of a shameless plug there. Uh, we are looking at how to uh, improve the possibilities of setting up young entrepreneurs or or any you know entrepreneurs in general on the island with with these systems. Um, when you're talking numbers, Hector, we're talking mm -hmm. about uh, kind of a respectable income when it comes to the individual entrepreneurs. Yes? Yes. Yes. Um, for you an example, in rice and beans, like we said here in Puerto Rico, in rice and beans, uh, mm -hmm. after all operational costs okay, of the system, of the business, uh, it's about fifty to sixty thousand dollars. If the if the if the farmer works there by their own the the system, okay, we know mm -hmm. other labor. So that's that's good. You know what I mean? That's good for a for a young entrepreneur is starting a business. Um, but the idea is to be scalable and work with maybe two farms, two two shipping containers, three, four. You know, in the future. So, so basically, the they could eventually put like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six farms all in a circle on one piece of land or near a actually near a, a buyer. Right. They could do these. They have contracts with with individual stores, distributors or participate in your co-op. But but then you're talking about each entrepreneur slash their investing partners could establish a series of these things in one location and minimize the amount of labor for the entirety of those of those systems correct yes remember we 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 have about four hours but no more than five hours per day five days a week 25 hours per week uh but we want we want we want labor we want person who could work with two systems so in the same area must be could be more efficient you know Absolutely. And, and I think you said something interesting. So you're talking about your, your projections are about 25 hours of labor when we're talking about these, these entrepreneurial uh, setups. Yes. Exactly. Per, per week. week. Per week. Excellent. Yeah. Now, yeah. so, um, and, and by extension, I think we could, we could say that there's a reasonable number of hours for employees in, in, in a, uh, you know, in a larger enterprise that's based on on these types of technologies as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Um, and so, so again, there's a uniqueness to this, and and we might have to save a conversation later for for other enterprises that um, have looked at at, at employment um, costs rather than the entrepreneurial projections that you have. Um, but I think it's really interesting. So we're talking about what kind of, so, so given that, can you sort of summarize what kind of projections 
there could be in terms of return on investment for private investors, since that's the kind of capital that you kind of need in this space. And, and it's true across the entire United States and other places. Right now, there's a lot of venture capital going into very high risk enterprises within this space. Um, you know, if uh, a shout out to Agritecture, but Agritecture, for instance, has a list of firms that, uh, you know, no pun intended, died on the vine, right? Uh, some of these firms were heavily capitalized with venture capital rather than a more progressive um, approach to capitalizing these types of things. In your particular case, what kind of sort of phased approach can a an investor do with this particular operation and what kind of returns are we talking about and and essentially we're talking about angel investment at this point we're not talking about you know especially when it comes to individual entrepreneurs but what kind what kind of of roi do you think they could look at if they are able to start these entrepreneurs on on a container or several containers yeah that's a good question uh that's depend of the of the of the deal between that talent or that that entrepreneur and the and the and the investor, but uh, that we could reach about from I don't know from five five years to ten years. Obviously, when you start with one with one uh, with one, no, enough. But the investor needs to see uh, the progressive way to do it on that business. Okay, that when we talk about that, once you launch the first system. The that could cut the cost of the of the second and the third one and the fourth one uh, could cut about fifty percent. So that business so, so investor risk actually starts to get minimized as they grow because access to additional exactly. um, incentives are, might be more forthcoming over that period of time. Exactly. That's the that's the that's the thing that, that we are starting this. When we starting that that. that farmer start a business the risk is going to be more easy okay it's more easy so uh then the other one is going to be a 50 percent. so that yeah you're, you're right you're right that's the thing not not in the first one but in the growth the, but at the least ROI the first one be... it would be almost like a test phase where they can they can um I, I guess develop efficiencies and and see how how to how to best implement their their growth strategies. I guess there's so many puns when it comes to this talking about investment in agriculture. Everything's seed capital, growth capital. Um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had to laugh about that for a second. It it always gets yeah. me every time I I discuss these these topics with um, with investors. Uh, the terminology is 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 very punny, as it were. <laughs> yeah. um, listen, Hector, um, we should probably wrap this up for now. Um, and there's a million other questions and and topics of focus that we could that we could uh, bring up in later episodes. Um, but for, do you have any final thoughts for us that that you would like to share? Well, the yes, of course. Um, we are uh, we are in this process right now in this stage uh, that we has been very mature. Uh, right now we are we are uh, the Department of Agriculture. They are they are giving certificate bona fide farmers. Uh, that's 
that's a, that's a lot. That's good. So um, the the business for those farmers is gonna be more uh, efficient. Uh, they don't need to pay a lot of taxes. So that's good. You know, that, that's good. So the thing is that the opportunity, the opportunity. Uh, we have ninety percent of imports. We have hurricanes, but we have the technology to mitigate that. So ah, we have grants as well. Once the system is running, we have grants for solar system. So it's going to be another saving on 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 the on the. Oh on yeah, the that's something we didn't even get into. I mean, yeah. Let me, let me summarize this from a business consulting perspective. If you are doing business on this or any other island, you really want to take a hard look at. Um, essentially making sure that your business is not dependent on on grid energy or or minimize it as much as possible and implement either a ppa if at all possible power purchase agreement or in smaller um or for smaller functions like this just make sure that those those solar systems or other renewable energy systems are included or are part of of whatever whatever you're you're doing on the island and and especially in this particular case right hector yeah, yeah. Once this, if the first system is running, you can reach those grants to do it. USDA have some of them, mm -hmm. about 50 to 75% on grants in some cases. So it's good. Uh, well, so if you're an entrepreneur or, or entity or, um, or investing partner along with them um, sets up, let's say, six or seven of these all in one place, they're able to run a lot of it off of a single energy system, correct? Exactly. A microgrid, like a microgrid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's good. And, and, and unfortunately, the cost of, of grid energy here is so high. It really, mm -hmm. um, it, it makes the, the what, what for me, again, is the fixed cost of, of renewable energy more than worth it. it you know it's hard to and plus the consistency that you have and you're removing um risk to your production right you don't want to risk your crops you don't want to risk your productivity um manufacturing companies would do well in any case to to make sure that they don't have interruptions again to their their manufacturing activities and or their supply chains so any other final thoughts Hector? i i didn't mean to to interrupt you with all that yeah, I, I think we, we cover mostly the most important things. Uh, resiliency, the opportunity, reduce imports, um, make more entrepreneurs in this, you know? So that's the idea of, of this. Uh, yeah. Can, let me, let me, so final thing, Hector, um, do you want to give some shout outs to groups and organizations that you've been collaborating with over the last, couple of years, couple of months, uh, anything exciting with those collaborations that you want to share in one minute? Yeah, yes, uh, we are we are working with uh, in the education in the education programs. We are working with the University of Inter-American University of Puerto Rico. They want one of the of those farms to make research for different seats uh, to to collaborate with us. OK, to be more efficient for our group. So and that data are, is also being shared with the USDA, right? I didn't a, mean to a, that's the idea. That's the idea okay. to share all that information with them. Um, the UPR, University of Puerto Rico, also. Mm -hmm. um, they, we have different organizations like, like uh, 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 Invest Puerto Rico, uh, 
this one entrepreneurs uh, I forgot the name uh, <laughs> but uh, we have different organizations that we've been collaborating to you know spread the word spread the results uh, and you know to make this happens in the, in, a, in another level you know uh, your job of course Mike you are doing a great job with us. Uh, <laughs> we'll yeah, see. We'll see. I'm, I'm working on it. We're it. trying. I, I, I need to tell you, you know. So um, they have a lot of energy, a lot of uh, uh, enthusiasm to, to make this happen, you know, because we need it. Not only Puerto Rico, the, a lot of islands have the, situa the same situation. This could be a good model in Puerto Rico to copy on those different uh, countries, including Latin American countries or, you know, different, different ones. So... That's the idea, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it makes, where this model and, and several others make a lot of sense, especially in Caribbean islands. And then, you know, it can be, the, there's there's ways to adapt this type of technology to where it makes sense in, you know, in, in larger areas or other parts across the continent and, and the region, right? Uh, yeah. South America, Central America, et cetera, depending on what they're, especially when it comes down to what kind of climate risk they're, they're facing. Um, mm -hmm. Well, Hector, I think this has been a great discussion and I hope we can, we can further this conversation uh, not only between ourselves, but with, um, with other, with other folks in the space or with other spaces that intersect with, yeah. with what we've discussed. Um, so that's it. No more shameless plugs, no more shout outs. Thank you all for listening. Hector, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike, for the opportunity. All right. And we are we have our fingers crossed that here in Puerto Rico and, and many other places uh, that um, all of this will come together to create, you know, more robust food systems, better food security, better human security. And by human security, let's be clear, it's, we're talking about the, the sort of impact to, to the human condition, right? Um, yeah. and also again, great opportunities for, for the private sector within this space, all, all of the checks, all the boxes are checked on this one. So thank mm -hmm. you again, Hector and, uh, everyone, thank you for listening to the show and send us your questions. If you have any, um, you can find us, uh, at Latam podcast, arroba Latam podcast. Um, you can find us on any podcast app. Uh, send us again, send us your questions, comment sections on Facebook, however you want to send it over and we'll see you next time. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to Latin American Intersections. If you enjoy our podcast or find it insightful, please be sure to share with your friends and colleagues. Hasta la próxima. See you next time. big thank you to Kasim Sultan of Sad Boy Music, who is working diligently to improve our audio as we develop our production techniques. Sad Boy Music offers competitive rates for recording, editing, mixing, mastering, music production, video editing, and motion graphic design. You can follow Sad Boy Music on social media at 5ADB0iMusic.